0: How you doing? Everyone good? Yes. Awesome. So, guys, listen, it's my first speech. I got really sick about three weeks ago. So, I couldn't, I had this. Everyone know what Bell's palsy is? It's this really weird disease where half of your face goes numb and it drops. Anyone know, know someone had that? It's, it's the worst for me now. Like I have a good smile, right? I couldn't smile. I was slurring my words. I was back on Quailu's again. I was slurring all my words. And I'm sober for 27 years. Okay, so it was pretty frustrating, right? But I'm still an expert at slurring. But I couldn't get the words out, and I actually had to give an event last week. I, I did give it. I was still sick though. And I got up on stage around we 3,000 people in New York, and I was still almost like it's like 80% back to normal. Still slurring, and my throat was really dry, and I had sores from. I didn't think I'm going to prednisone as a medication, so. This is the first speech I'll be giving since so I'm almost back to normal, so I'm really excited to be here. And when I was driving up here, I, don't, I never look at what I'm supposed to say, because I, I like to talk from the heart. I don't like to have prepared notes, right? And when I looked at the uh, itinerary, it said, okay, you got 20 minutes to speak to the kids at Oxford, right? And you guys really are kids to me. I wish I was back in college with you. I would come back here in two seconds, by the way. I really would. Um, I had a blast in college, right? Uh, <laughs> you can imagine. Anyway, um, but I, I said you know, 20 minutes. Wow! I said, now, and for those of you who were in this little gathering we had before, you can imagine that like I could take one question that any any other human being can answer in like a minute, and it could take me 20 minutes to answer. Right? I drag things out. I could tell stories. So I said, what can I say in 20 minutes that could really give them value? And I really, because I want to kind of impart some some wisdom on you guys, right? Because on some level, my life represents the best and the worst of what humanity can really offer, you know, what someone could do when they use <laughs> you know. You <laughs> know, I mean, on one hand, right? I had this, and then listen, we all are born with certain extreme talents, and I had certain talents, and I used them in the beginning of my life, you know, in my 20s for not such good reasons. And, you know, I like to say, like, I was on the dark side of the force, and then thankfully now I'm on the light side of the force, right, so what could I say in 20 minutes and I, and I have all these lessons that I've learned in my own life that have allowed me to get incredibly rich at a very young age, make mistakes, lose it all, now come back to make it even more money than I've ever made before, more successful than I've ever been in my life. And it's all been done with the utmost ethics and integrity, okay. I've not cut one corner since I got out of jail, seriously. And I made this, it was like a, something that I had committed to myself. That no matter what, I am going to do things right. I'm never going to go into that spot again where I have to worry about what I say, what's in my emails, not talking I mean, it's a terrible way to live, right? So, and by the way, my speech is just like about 95% normal right now. I'm still a little bit, you know, it's weird because my, I have sores in my tongue from this medication. Anyway, don't be kissing anybody after this is all right. <laughs> all right. So, so what I did, is, okay, 20 minutes. I said, wow. I said, let me do this. Let me think about what are the 10 lessons... That I could give this room, that you know, just pure wisdom, things that really could impact your life on a major level, and I could give it to you like two minutes for each one. All right, and of course I'll go over because I always freaking go. Is it okay if I curse? Am I allowed to curse here? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fuck it, dude, I'm not really getting paid. For this. <laughs> <laughs> do what I want. I don't like to curse, but I'm from New York, and I worked on Wolfie. The word fuck is as common as the word "va," so it just kind of slips out sometimes, right? So if I curse, excuse me. I don't mean to curse, right? So I came up with this list, okay, of what I thought were the 10 most powerful lessons I could give you guys. And, of course, I named them, where's the thing? I named them, does it work? Is it fucking, oh, it's not working? (laughs) Hey, why don't you try Hey, you press, there it goes, the 10 commandments for entering the real world. Which I think it was pretty apropos for this crowd, right? And these are, these are 10 things that I have learned myself from mistakes I've made and also successes I've had, and it represents both. And if you can really internalize these 10 things, I promise you it will allow you to navigate your journey through the real world, to get exactly what you want in life, whether that's you know, in monetary terms, in social terms, just you know, societal terms, whatever you want, it'll really make it much easier for you. You can do it with much more grace and elegance to go out there and achieve what you want in life, okay? So let me go through these one by one here and I'll try to be as brief as possible. And we have a Q&A afterwards as well, right? And I'll let you guys ask some questions. Okay, so the Ten Commandments, or should we be the Wolf's Ten Commandments for entering the real world, right? Okay, so number one, give me a click here, okay. Thou sh- I tried to go in ancient biblical language, Thou shalt not think things are OK just because they're transpiring. Let me tell you what that means. One of the scenes in the movie that I think is the most destructive and I love the movie who likes the movie, "The Wolf of Wall right? No doubt. great, great movie, right? But there's one scene that is destructive, and I think is very dangerous for you to uh, misinterpret. So let me tell you what it is. is it, no <laughs> right? No, no. That I totally promote, not just kidding. One of to hear the most embarrassing thing I'll tell you. I brought my mother to the premiere, and she was sitting next to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I hadn't thought the whole thing through. He was like, Mom, I want to be like my mom walking down the red carpet. Oh, my God, right? Anyway, (laughs) I'm like, Mom, it's all fiction. Scorsese has such an imagination. (laughs) She's like, I know what you're capable of. (laughs) And by the way, my mother, my mother is a brilliant... Let me just tell you about my mother, just so you know, the kind of family I come from. My, My mother... She's now 85 years old. She has not only all her faculties, but she could bend down and try and jump. Unbelievable, right? But here's the listen to this. In the 50s, when she was in her late 20s, she was the only woman to be down in New York City working in a big six accounting. It was big eight back then. She was a CPA back in the 50s, when women were not CPAs working in Manhattan. And she rose to the very top of her profession throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s. was was blazing a trail for women in the workplace back in that era. In the 1990s, after I made a ton of money and I made my parents very rich from that, I took care of them, Right? my mother decided she wanted to go back to law school. She went back to law school and she was 71 years old. She graduated and she was 75. And she was the oldest woman in New York State to pass the bar exam. And then she won pro bono lawyer of the year for doing women for battered women charity in in, in Long Island. My mother's an incredible lady of the highest ethical ideals. So you wonder, how the fuck did I go, right? (laughs) My dad too. But I think that's why these lessons are so important because the first one has to do with ethics and integrity. And here's what it is. When in the movie, there's a scene where I go to my first day of work in that penny stock firm And I look around and I see this sort of slipshod, weird people on the phone, like lying, screaming. And and I look at the manager and I say, is this stuff legal? And he says to me, well, kindness, let me tell you something. If he would have said that to me, I would have run out the door. I would have never worked at some place that was breaking the law. But what do you think he really said to me? He said, of course it's legal. We are members of the SEC. We were, you know, we're, we're registered, this is, how can we be in existence? So you know what? Let me just tell you something. There are companies all throughout London, okay, not a lot, but there's some that are breaking the law, scamming, doing things, there's boiler rooms, there's stuff out there that's happening, and you need to understand just because you walk, when you leave here and go into the real world, just because you walk into a room or a business and they're doing things a certain way, just because they're doing it doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's legal, doesn't mean it's ethical, you get it? It could be happening, transpiring, and it's not right. So don't take what you see at face value out in the real world. And that leads me to number two, OK? Which is, thou shalt, listen to that feeling in thy stomach, or that sickening feeling in thy stomach. In other words, you know, I, you, deep down, I'm sure you're all very good. Come on, you're, you're all here, you've studied hard, you're at the most prestigious college in the world, basically, right? It's like this in Harvard, what else is there, right? You know right from wrong. <laughs> you know right from wrong, don't you? Yes, you do. Your parents taught you well and your teachers instilled in you every day and you're all ethical people, come on. You know when you're doing something wrong. You get that feeling in your stomach. Who knows, what, raise your hand, when you don't, come on. Raise your hand, everyone, come on. You don't, you have problems. You have a moral compass, okay? If you walk in some place and you get this feeling that's saying it's just not right, you know what? it's probably not right. Listen to that feeling in your stomach. I knew, I'll be honest, okay? The, the fact is the guy said, of course it's legal. Of course we don't break the law. How could we register with the SEC or the NASD? Look, here's our last deal, it's a prospectus, right? I said, okay, well, I guess it's legal. But in my heart, in my soul, I knew it didn't feel right. I could sense there was something wrong. How could you charge someone a dollar a share, and take 60% in commission? How could that be right? But it was happening, so I said, I guess it's okay, because they would have shut it down. Guess what? The wheels of justice grind slowly. When you go out into the workplace, be careful. You worked your whole lives really hard so far to get to you know, learn the things you, you now know. Go out there and be vigilant, okay? It's one thing if you go into a well-known company with an established track record, but if you walk into a little place where no one knows about it, and I'm not saying it's a scam, just be aware. Okay, just don't take what someone says to at face value. Investigate, do your research. Ask people who know better, older people who've been around the block a couple of times, okay? A couple of hundred times, all right? And make sure that you A, don't take things at face value, and B, if the feeling in your stomach says it ain't right, listen to that feeling because it's probably the right one. Make sense? Yes? You can say yes. yes? All right, good. Number three. Thou shalt commit thyself to mastering the art of failing elegantly. This is an entrepreneurial tactic which most young people don't know because they haven't failed yet, really failed. There's two ways to fail in life, in business. Let's talk about business. You can fail elegantly or you can fail miserably, okay? Failing elegantly is a way of going about starting a business or launching a new division of a company that allows you to test out an idea or a concept quickly to get your read, whether it's right or wrong, whether it works or not to work, without losing a fortune, without losing a lot of time, versus failing miserably, where you lose tons of money, it takes a lot of time, and you end up with nothing but a bankruptcy. Now I, in, when I was 22 years old, and I launched my first real business, I went bankrupt. It was the meat and seafood business. I started with one truck, I grew to 26 trucks, was making a ton of money, I thought, but I was making every mistake a young entrepreneur can make. I was overexpanding, I was growing with credit, I was undercapitalized, wasn't screening out my employees. Before I knew it, I was out of business and I failed miserably, lost everything and declared bankruptcy. Nowadays, when I'm pro- approached with an idea and I like it, I'm gonna test the idea, I'll do it in a way that A, if I'm wrong, I don't lose much money or better yet, I'll use other people's money Seriously, I'll always take in an investor and make less on the upside. If it means I can protect myself on the downside and B, I always structure my tests so I get my reads as quickly as possible. So I know quickly the information and then I can change my approach and try again, change my approach. And sure enough, by doing that again and again, eventually you'll hit on the right formula. I don't care how smart you are. It's so rare that when you go into business or you try something new that you get it right the first time. The first evolution of an idea is not usually the right one. And we'll you see that all through history, businesses after business, where they all are now making money, not on how they thought they'd make money. It's some evolution of the idea. If you fail miserably, you'll never get the chance. By structuring your test so you can fail elegantly, you can test, test again and so forth, and then you get to number four. You can click on that. Commit thyself to amassing f- succeeding wildly. Meaning, what do you do when the shit is right? What do you do when your idea works? How do you take a small idea and turn it into a big idea? Take a small company, turn it into a regional player. Take a regional player, and make it into a major multinational. The rules for failing elegantly and succeeding well are almost diametrically opposed, they're opposites. You have to know how to do both to be an entrepreneur. Now, I don't have time to teach you this stuff today, but most of my stuff is all been pirated online, okay? If you want to pay for it, you can, okay? I want you to know, pay for it, Yeah, But seriously, a lot of my stuff is all, I put my stuff out there because I don't really care about that, right? We live in a world now where you can't, if you're a musician, you're not going to make money on selling t- records anymore or CDs, right? Because everyone's downloads for free, right? So I don't care what you do, right? But the information's out there. But I want to highlight to you how important it is to understand when you go into business, you need to focus on these two things. A, go into it with your eyes open, knowing that you're probably not right in the first evolution of your idea, no matter how great it is. And go into it and learn how to fail elegantly. And then on the flip side, when you get it right, understand what steps you have to take to succeed wildly. Make sense? Yes? Yes. yes. Great. Let's go to number five. Now shalt always with an average sucks. Okay, I'm a believer, okay, that the enemy of greatness in life is good. Here's the problem. When people are going through life, if things are okay, they aren't feeling enough pain to make a change. It's like if I say to you right now, I say, okay, everybody raise your hand as high as you possibly can. Do everyone, everyone raise your hand as high as you possibly can right now. Everyone do that, please. High as you can. Now just a little bit higher, a little higher. What the fuck is that, right? (laughs) I I said, I meant the first time, I said, raise it as high as you can. A little, oh, if you really mean it. It's that level above where your comfort zone is. That's where I want you to shoot for. Don't go through life burning at 10 watts or 50. Be a 100 watt person and burn bright. Don't settle for average. You know, they're, they're like in the movie I say, there's no nobility in poverty, right? Well, this is not a poverty crowd, right? No one here is gonna probably end up in poverty. But don't go through life, whatever average means to you, don't let that be your life. Who's seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Raise your hand, right? You know, great movie, right? You know the Quan, you know, it's just the Quan. It's like the, it's a great phrase in the movie, the best of everything. It's not just about money, it's about money, connection, spirituality, love. It's everything in life firing on all sills at once. Qualm. Don't go through life just saying, you know what? I'm okay being average. Average sucks. It does. I promise you this. When you learn, when you it's almost like training yourself to not settle for less than extraordinary, your own is basically your own standard. You will live a life that's so full of joy and happiness, and some misery too, but you need to have both to know the difference, right? But so much joy and so much passion. That's where it is. It's at extraordinary standards. Don't settle for average. Make sense? Yes? Please don't, okay? Because you'll look back one day when you're old and gray, almost like I am, right? And you'll say, you know what? That freaking sucked. Because those few moments in my life when I was extraordinary, that was when I felt most alive. You go through, you have one life to live, right? Just go for it. And don't settle for anything less than total and utter excellence. Okay? Next slide. Next one. Number six. So okay, walk a minute. Okay, uh, no, no, go, no, no stop, go back. Just wait. No, go back. <laughs> I, I go, no, go back, go back. You give away all my secrets. Yeah, stop there. Okay, go on. Okay, it didn't say. That's supposed to be number six, right? For those of you who didn't figure it out. Okay. Anyway, number six. Okay, I'll tell you the truth. All right. On the way here, I, I'm so terrible with power books. I was born before, like the, the right. You guys were all computer kids. I'm not, right? So I was trying to figure. I couldn't turn the one to a six. I tried for like an hour on (laughs) the (laughs) trifecta. So when I got up there, I asked I said, can you do me a favor, can you turn the one? She she goes, yeah, yeah, she goes, in two seconds, she figures out, she makes it a six, right? But we didn't press the save button, the one. (laughs) 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 And I shut my computer down so it's back to the frickin' one, okay? But we tried, right? She did it. Number six, now shall commit a knot, and the knot, take out the fucking knot, okay? I've edited this out five times, so it keeps popular. up. Thou shalt commit thyself to mastering certain specialized skills. Let me tell you what this, this is. This is probably one of the most important things when it comes to success. In every endeavor you go for, whatever job, whatever, whatever business you start, there's gonna be certain specialized skills that are required and you need to become extraordinary at them. Let me tell you a story. How did this whole thing happen in my life, right? How did I write this book? Okay, how did I go out and take this book and turn it into this whole business that formed the movie and a global brand, right? Well, let me tell you something. I was in jail, okay, and when I show up for jail, who's my bunkmate? Believe it or not, Tommy Chong from Chichin Chong. You know Chichin Chong? He's my bunkmate. Right? Now, I didn't go to, I wasn't in the worst jail in the world, I admit it. I wasn't getting butt fucked each night, my is not there. <laughs> It was a federal prison camp, okay? It was okay, it but still jail's jail, and it sucks, right? Tommy's my bunkmate, because we're both celebrities. They put us together in one cube. It was a little cube. He's writing a book, right? So Tommy says to me, oh, my God, we tell each other stories at night, and I have him rolling on the floor laughing. Man. So by night three, he goes, you know, I thought you were making this shit up, but my wife Googled you, and it's all true. You live this crazy life. He goes, you've got to write a book. you got to write about this stuff. So I said, well, I don't know how to write. He says, well, just write the way you speak, the way you tell a story. So, well, guess what? I tried that. Doesn't work. (laughs) Writing and speaking are very different skill sets. They just are completely different. And for the first month or so, I'm writing a couple of pages. I show them to Tommy. He reads and goes, wow, that really sucks. I'm like, thanks, Tommy. Tell me what you really think, right? (laughs) And I was depressed because I couldn't get anything out on paper that was meaningful or funny. Right? And I almost was going to stop, and I hate quitting anything. And I went to the prison library one day, this prison's library, right? and I stumbled upon a book called Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. And I start reading this book, and I'm like, oh my God, this is how I want to write. So I plow through the book, finish it, and I start back at page one. I take out a yellow highlighter, and I use this book like a textbook. And for three months, I ripped apart every single word, and I broke down Tom Wolfe's strategy for writing. How does he introduce characters? How does he describe people? How does he describe locations? How does he create conflict? How does he go into scenes, out of scenes? How do you use words like had, H-A-D? I didn't even know the word. You know, you say the word had so quickly in language that guess what? When you actually have to write things, if you don't know how to use the word had in the past, past tense, nothing makes sense. I had to learn. I wasn't a writer. I was a biochem major. You get it? So I didn't know how to write. And guess what happened? My writing improved. And I kept studying to prove, and my writing improved to such a point that I said, wow, I'm kind of getting the hang of this. Then I picked up another book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I think it's appropriate, right? You know, Hunter S. Thompson, great writer about drugs and insanity, I think it was great, read through that book. And that was sort of ended my sort of education. And I used these as models and I taught myself a specialized skill. What I'm really saying, sometimes it doesn't matter how much you want something or how hard you're willing to work to get something. If you don't possess the actual skill set that's required to do it, it's delusion. And most people don't get that. They'll try to go into a business that's sales based but not master the art of sales and persuasion. They'll try to go into another type of business not master whatever it might be. They don't master their craft. The first thing you gotta do when you know what you really want to do for a living, now you're in school now, so you think you're kind of you kind of sort of narrowing the base, maybe. But most people, they get out, they don't even do it. They went in college, they don't you study. It doesn't translate many times, right? So maybe it will, maybe it won't. But the first thing you got to do is say, "Okay, I want to do this. What specialized skills do I need to learn, and fucking take the time to learn them, master your craft. Don't settle for just being average at what you do. You got to become amazing at it." Become a force of nature. You're here, so you're freaking smart, right? You guys are smart, okay? So seriously, there's nothing you can't learn. There's nothing you can't, skill you can internalize through hard work and effort. But it's hard work and it takes effort. Don't miss this step. It's the critical step that most people miss when they go into business. They don't say, okay, what are the people, groups and organizations I need to align myself with? What are the specialized skills I need to know? And then learn them. Learn them. Now, you can't become an expert, because that takes forever. But get proficient enough, like I did by writing, so then I learned on the job. And by the time I was done, and my book got reviewed in the New York Times, they said, he sounds like Hunter S. Thompson and Tom Wolfe, his mentors. They said that, I was wow. And just to show you how powerful that technique is. Okay? So don't miss that step. Let's go to number seven here. Thou shalt not become emotionally invested in my goals. This is a big one for me. You know, we live in a goal-oriented society. People set goals and they sometimes hit them, but very often they don't, and it gets to the point where goals almost lose their power. I'm a goal person. I always set goals, but here's the deal. The way I look at my goals are not so much I need to hit my goals. My goals serve As signposts along the way to a much higher level, which is my vision for the future. How I really see my vision for the future. Okay, Where is my life gonna be in five years, my whole life in five years, how does it look? Okay, how does it look in five years from now? It's a fully integrated vision. A goal has a specific date, a time, an amount, it's finite, it's logic-based. A vision is emotion-based, goals are logic-based. I want you to set your goals the way I said. Raise your hand. and Stretch. The problem with most people in life is not they set their goals too high and miss them. Let me repeat that. The problem with most people, they don't set their goals too high and miss them. That's not the problem. The problem with 99% of the world is they set their goals too low and they hit them. Average sucks. The enemy of great is good. Don't set your goals low. Set your goals high. Now don't set them in the stratosphere because then your brain says bullshit, bullshit, it loses its power. Which is why I said stretch just above your comfort zone. So when you're setting goals like that, very often you're not gonna meet your goals. You'll miss them slightly. And that shows you what am I doing right, what am I doing wrong, they're actual signposts. Are you heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? Now, just imagine what happens if you become emotionally invested. If you say, oh, if I don't hit this, uh, you know, I'm gonna be miserable because I have this goal and I'm gonna fucking focus on this goal and when I hit it, then I'll feel good. That's the worst way to go through life. Because you know what will happen? If you hit the goal, you say, great, I feel great now. What's next? And you're fucking back at the doghouse again. You feel good for one day and then you're back setting your next goal. Goals have no power like that. Don't become emotionally invested. Invest yourself in your vision. Long term, where you want to go. A goal shows you whether you're heading in the right direction or wrong direction. But don't be one of these people that says, "I'll be happy when I achieve my goal," because that's a miserable way to live. You'll be happy for a couple of days in your life, and you'll always be like, "What's next? What's next?" Because there's always another goal on top of the one you achieve. Makes sense? Yes. Okay. Number says eight here. Thou shalt cut off all thy. It's to be thy exit ramps. Okay. What do I mean by that? One thing i found in life is that people who are dabblers, people who go and they try five things at once, or they go, let me work my job and then try something on the side. They want to do their passion on their side. They want to make it so like, they want to play it safe. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. If I do that, I'm going to fail. You know what? Fuck it. Especially for this room. You guys are young. You guys can afford to be, to, to, you don't have to um, families to support. I'm sure most of you, right? Hopefully, okay? You don't have taste support except for a couple of you, maybe, right? But the point is this, okay? As you get older, your options get smaller and your responsibilities get larger. At this point in your life, for almost all of you, I bet you have very few people to rely on. Have, you have to rely on you but yourself. I want you to go into an idea and don't give yourself a way out. Make success a must. Make the consequences of failure in your life so dire and unthinkable you won't allow it to happen. An example, when Pizarro, the explorer, if you remember your, your, uh, your, your ancient history back in the 1600s, right? Pizarro, 1500s, Pizarro, he went to the new world and the first thing he did was what? He burned his ships. Why? He gave his sailors no choice but to hack out a new existence in the new world. If he would have had his ships, they said, you know what, it's too tough, let's just run back to old England or France, where we came from, Spain, right? Italy, right? I don't remember my history that well, okay? The, the, he came from somewhere, right? The point is, he burned his ships. He cut off all the exit ramps. They had to succeed in the New World. What does a very smart general do? When a general wants to take over a city, does he surround the entire city and lay siege? If he does that, guess what happens? every single soldier, every man, woman, and child will fight to the death because they know is that if the city falls, the women get raped, the children get slaughtered, and it's over, right? That's the old way of of war, right? So what does a smart general do? What he does is he surrounds the entire city but leaves one exit ramp open and lets them all run out. He takes the city without a shot fired. Human nature, if we have a way out, we'll take it. When you go into business, when you find your passion in life, When you go at something, you want to succeed, don't give yourself away. Don't be looking at the help wanted section at night. Don't have another source of income. Make yourself succeed. Give yourself no option but to succeed. And then you'll have the power to harness what's inside. The power inside of you is force inside of you. And when you really learn to do that, you'll be unstoppable. Make sense, yes? Okay, next. Thou shalt stop buying into thy own bullshit story. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm a woman, I'm a man. There's always a freaking reason why you can't get what you want in life. Here's the bottom line. You probably heard me say this quote before. What stops most people from achieving success is the bullshit story they tell themselves, why they can't achieve it. We all have this narrative that we have in our head. It's the reasons why we can't get what we want in life. And what happens is, is that very often it's that freaking narrative that stops you from getting what you want. Here's a very simple form of success. See things as they are. See the world as it is, but not worse than it is. See things in your life as they are, but not worse than they are. Which is what a lot of people do. They actually make things worse than they are. And they tell themselves a story about why they can't get what they want in life. And it's that bullshit story that stops them from getting what they want. See things as they are, but not worse than they are. Meaning, get honest with yourself what you know, what you don't know, what you need to know, but don't make it worse. Don't create a narrative about why you can't get, I come from the wrong family and I'm startup capital. There is, let me just tell you, if you drop me in the Sahara Desert, I promise you I'll figure out how to make money selling sand to someone, okay? There's no way, my father, a a, a friend of my best friend growing up, his dad, I was a kid that always had the lemonade stand, I was making money since I was five years old, right? By the time I was 16, I made, I was making $30,000 or something selling ices on the local beach, right? My friend's dad had a saying about me. He said, if you flush Jordan down the toilet bowl, he'd come up holding a plumber's license. (laughs) What he means is I would never tell myself a story. I came from a poor family. It didn't matter to me. Within every single person in this room, you have the ability and the connections to go out and achieve anything you want in life. Is it going to be hard? Yeah. You have to work your ass off. You're better because everyone else is. Everyone out there in the real world is working their asses off. It's not fair in the real world. You're going to have everything go against you sometimes. It's going to seem like the world's against you. You know what? Often it is. It doesn't. Nothing matters. If you're willing to follow these rules and put one foot in front of the other, set your vision for the future, put your goals beneath that, and just tarnish the power that's in you, you'll get what you want in life. Not today, not tomorrow maybe, but eventually, sooner than you think, you'll get what you want. But what happens is this. The first step is you have to get honest with yourself. What do I know? What don't I know? Meaning like see things as they are, see my life as it is, but not worse. If you tell yourself a story, I'm too young right now, I don't have enough stuff. You know what happens? It's it's almost like a circuit breaker to getting honest with yourself. I'll give you one metaphor and then we'll move on. A car navigation system, right? They're brilliant these days. This car, you can punch in anything, it'll get you where you want to go. But what does the navigation system need? It needs, number one, an accurate starting point. You have to know where you are right now. If you don't enter a destination of where you are, well, your car has a chip, right? It's With the satellites, right, so it knows exactly where you are. Without that, can you use it? No, it's worthless. You need to know exactly where you are. So you need to know where you are, what you know, right? That's your starting point. And then you have to enter a destination. That's your vision for the future, where you want to end up. The navigation that so knows how to make the turns. That's what the rules of business and entrepreneurship are all about. It's how you go out and make something. How do you take any idea, turn it into a reality? That's what I do for a living. And that's what you're going to learn how to do when you get into the real world. How do you take a vision? How do you essentially manifest into reality what's in your head? And it's not some woo-woo bullshit secret thing. It's, it's, it's reality. It's, it's business 101. How do you start a business, build a business, run a business? Okay. How do you go into work for someone else's company to rise up as a valued asset? But you gotta get honest. Without that, you have no starting point. And Without a starting point, there's no way to go to a vision. Make sense, yes? And last but not least, thou shalt commit yourself to identifying their why. Now, this is probably, of all things, it's the secret to success. In the sense that it's that one magical element that will give you the internal fortitude the stick to to get where you want to go, no matter what barriers and obstacles stand in your way, there's nothing you can't overcome. I'll give you the perfect analogy here and we'll end with this and I'll start answering questions, okay? That whole story about when I was in jail and how I was able to teach myself to write, now listen, yes, I said it wasn't the worst jail in the world, but it was jail, guys, and jail sucks. I was—I I just, just so you understand what I went through, I lost everything in my life. I lost all my money. I lost my children for a time, my wife. I was embarrassed in society. I was smeared and the by the press. I mean, I literally hit rock bottom, and it was so, I just can't tell you how terrible. If you think it wasn't bad, it was bad. So the movie makes it look funny. It, you know, it ended up bad, guys, okay? And I ended up in jail with no money. I, I, I was broke. My kids were gone. My wife had left town, okay? Whatever, the whole other story, okay? She didn't read the gold digger's handbook. She was supposed to wait three months. But anyway. <laughs> Separate story, right? She was out the first fucking day. It's like, wait, did you read the handbook? She was supposed to wait three months for the appearance. Anyway. You're impossible to live with now. I just got out of jail the second. Anyway. But listen, I lost everything in my life, okay? And I end up in jail. And the worst time in jail... Is at nighttime. When you're in your bunk and you're alone with your thoughts, and I, was, I always get asked this question by journals How are you able to write this book? How are you able to teach yourself a skill like this, to, to write the way you do in jail? What, what gave you the ability to push through all that negativity? And let me tell you, it's negative there. And most people there are not coming back. I'm the exception. If, if any one of you think, that, that movie's glamorous. It, it, it's, it's glamorous, but if you think it's a path to success, you're wrong. For every guy like me who comes back, there's a million who don't. Don't do Take the good stuff I did, but don't make those mistakes I made with sacrificing your ethics and integrity. So I started with one and two. Don't sacrifice your ethics and integrity. Don't cut corners. Okay? Don't fall into that, that desire for instant gratification, to get everything yesterday. Good things take time. I'm not preaching to you guys because you know I'm, I'm, like, I'm just like you, okay? I'm a wild person inside, but I've learned, I've learned that how disastrous it is for yourself, for your own self and your family when you don't follow the rules of society, when you don't have ethics and integrity, which in my mind means doing the right thing when no one's looking. So I ended up in jail losing everything. And the worst part of it was my kids. I had two kids. They were seven and five. And I love my kids more than anything you could possibly imagine. And to embarrass them like that, that that was in the newspaper, it was, they had to move to a different part of the country. It was the worst thing that could happen to a man, Is to at least from someone that valued their children so much. And when I was alone in bed at night, and those worst moments, how did I stay positive? You know what I did? I closed my eyes, and I visualized the faces of my two children. That was my why. Why did I have to come back? Why could I not say die? Why could I not, I, I, I love my kids so much, that there was nothing I wouldn't do to make it right for them. You will only go so far for yourself. But what you'll do with someone you love unconditionally or a cause you believe in, you'll, I'll run through a wall of fire for my kids and never look back. So my why, why did I have to come back from failure? It was because of my children. And once you understand your why, you truly, your why, why do you want to succeed? So you have a vision, right? But why? Is it money? Money's not, money won't do it. Money will take you so far, I want to be rich. What does that mean? Nothing much. Nice car. It's why at the deepest of it. Is it your parents? Is it a religious? Class? Is it something? And it's different for everybody. My why is not your why. But you need to really get honest and say, what is it at the deepest level? Why do you want to succeed in life? What causes am I tied to? What other people besides myself? When you do that, like I did that, you can go through anything in life and get what you want. That's what a powerful why will do for you. So when you go out there into the world, just know at the deepest level why success matters to you. I never thought much about it when I was very young. I thought I want to be rich. I want nice cars. I want a lot of money. I want to marry a beautiful woman. That's what I want. every guy wants, right? I mean, it's shallow, that's what I wanted. I wanted money, I wanted power, I wanted nice women. Wanted a great life. I never said why. And at the deepest level, when I understood it was about my children, you could harness that power and overcome anything. Those are 10 I would say lessons, commandments, 10 things, and if you really adhere to them, and I give you a bonus, which is the next slide, and never give up, ever. One thing that you'll find in every book of success, and so it's not my idea, it's an old, everyone knows this, right? Most people give up too soon. Good things take time. You're going to have failures before your success. That's why failing elegantly is so important. Don't give up stick to your dream don't settle for anything that's an excellence in your life extraordinary standards guys extraordinary you're here by definition by being at oxford you're on the path to extraordinary you are but let me tell you something the real world is an entirely different animal it's not fair it's not kind and everybody's working hard people are under pressure so you got to be out there And don't sacrifice your ethics and integrity for it, but go out there, work your asses off, set your standards high, have your vision, have a why, and I promise you, if you also do the work on the skills portion and really learn, become a master, an expert in what you you want to do, you will have a life of such joy and happiness you won't fucking believe it. And that's my message to you. Thank you guys a lot. You guys are awesome.
1: Well thank you so much for that incredible speech. Um, I I thought we'd kick off with a couple of questions for myself before we move on to some from the audience. Um, I think many people here today probably feel like they already know you from watching Wolf of Wall Street. Did you ever expect the book and the film to achieve the success that that they did?
0: Um, No, I mean well, (laughs) you know it's interesting, When, when when I was Writing the book, I knew something special was happening. I did, because I, you know, I, 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 I tried for months and months to write, and it was just I couldn't get the words out, as I told you. Um, but when I finally got to the point where I started writing, it seemed like it was really, to me, it seemed like I was doing something, I knew it was something extraordinary, you know? And then I started uh, showing it to certain people, like first an agent, and every time I showed it to someone, it was like this over the top reaction. But I never thought that it would amount to like a Leo. DiCaprio, Scorsese film that become a, a cult hit. Like, who, who would think that? Um, I, I think that you know, when you go through life, you 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 have to sort of you know you can't be. What I see right now, for instance, I see people that are unrealistic. I get people call me. I wanna I wanna do what you did. I just happen to say, I wanna write a book and make a movie with like Leo, like you did. That's like a one in a million shot. It's just not a realistic goal. That's not, like, that's not a goal or a vision I would set. Because it's so far-fetched and it just happens by lightning strikes, right? Right place, right time, right project, and you know, whatever. Um, and I lived that extraordinary life which most people wouldn't want to live, I promise you. you know, you'd want to live it except for some aspects of it, okay? Like losing people money is not a good thing, okay? I, 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 would never, I wouldn't take back anything but that because that was my life and I lived it. Even though it wasn't all good, it's my life. But I never thought... I never really thought it would become that because who would think that, right? You know, it's just it's a one in a million shot. So I, I, I have to say, well, I knew something special was happening. I never thought it would be this because who would ever think that? So don't. And the lesson I think that is is don't look at as a, a writing a book as a way to make a lot of money. It's just not. It's a very low paid profession, um, and don't bank on getting your script made if you do it do because it you love it. Do you, you know, I, I almost had to do it. It was like I had to get the story out because my life was so chaotic and I just felt like it was, pa- I think it was the next step. So that's my best answer.
1: Thank you. Um, do you perhaps feel that the film's portrayal of the financial industry glorifies the industry in an unhealthy manner? Uh,
0: no, I think, cause I think that it's, I, Here's what I think <clears throat> Certain things are glamorous, right? It's glamorous to make a lot of money. It is nice. It's glamorous. I think the mistake that some people make is that they're like, you know, by definition, like living that wild life. It's glamorous and it was fun. I won't deny that. Does that mean you want to do it and not sort of, you know, kind of, you know, edit certain parts out? I think most people are smart enough to know. I assume when you look at this, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. You're not looking saying, "God, I want to go out there and break the law like he did and make people lose." Who would? What maniac would want to do that, right? I never wanted to, that was not my intention to, to, for, to go off that path. It happened as it was happening. I spiraled out of control. I think most people are smart enough to know that they latch onto the idea of going out and getting rich and building a business and taking a shot. And then, listen, if you want to party, God, you know, say, it's one, one, the reason I say I never look back at the drug use, I'm sober now since 1997, okay? So it was a long time, okay? A real 20 years. I'm sober for more than that, 20 years plus, right? Do I do? It's great, right? It is great. <laughs> would, I, would I take back the drug use? No. I wouldn't. You know why? Because it allows me, it, it's made me the person I am today. I can go into rehabs and speak to kids, and I do that. I do charity work. It gives you a platform, and it made me the person I am. Then you, you do good things, you do bad things, and it becomes who you are. You can't change the past. You can make the best of the past, you can sort of, you know... So I don't look at the, at the self-inflicted harm and say I want to change it. But I would change the behavior that led to other people losing money. That's... I would change if I could. And I can't, which just goes to show you how careful you have to be with sacrificing your ethics, because when you do, you other people get hurt. That's what ethics really is all about on some level. So, um, but I think that you're... I, would, I, would, I have to believe that you're smart enough to know that. Don't you? Yes. You don't wanna go out there and break the law, right? You don't look at the movie and wanna go out and, and rip people off. That's nuts. But it gives you the, the drive to see a kid who had nothing and built something amazing. And you say, you know what, I wanna take the best of that, but I wanna avoid the pitfalls lowly. That's why I think most people look at the movie. And I think that if you look at the movie, and, you want, and by the I get I get hundreds of emails, thousands, right? Every once in a while I get some stupid moron who sends me some mail? I don't want to go out and live like the i like, fuck off. I mean, you're an idiot, right? 99.9% of emails are amazing. I know what you did. I, I use it as a model of what you did right and wrong. People get it. And I believe that people are smart enough to understand the difference between the
1: two. Thank you. Sure. Um, so I think now's probably the perfect time to open up some questions from the audience. If you've got a question, raise your hand and we'll try and get a microphone over to you. <coughs> um, I see a question um, pop up just over there. Um, Hello, Mrs. Belfort. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I have one question, and I'm a huge fan of your film. So this just um, comes quite naturally. Can you please sell me this (laughs) pen?
0: (laughs) You know, no one's ever asked me that before. It's the first time. (laughs) Um, So let let me tell you what that whole exercise really stands for, right? So the whole sell me this pen narrative is really, it's a test that you give to a salesman to see if they really understand what selling is all about. If you ask someone who's not a professional salesman, who doesn't have the right instincts, they'll start actually trying to sell you a pen. This pen is great, this pen writes upside down, it's the best value for its money, this pen will last forever, buy this pen. Here's the thing, the only one rational thing you could do when someone says, sell me this pen, and that is to start asking them questions. So tell me, how long have you been in the market for a pen? What type of pens have you used in the past? Is it for business or personal? Typically when you buy a pen, what type of money do you spend on one? Do you buy expensive pens? The, the, the key to selling is to find out step one, what are your client's needs, values? What pain are they looking to resolve? What, what do they need? And you're looking to fill that need at the most basic level, right? Well. When you just go out and try to sell something, someone, what you're saying is, I don't give a shit about you. I'm just going to ram this down your throat, right? I want to know what you need. I want to know what you've done in the past. So you ask questions. If I ask someone, hey, so how long have you been in the market for a pen? And they say, oh, I'm not looking for a pen. Great, have a nice day. I don't sell people the things that people aren't looking for. So I wouldn't try to sell you a pen if you're not looking to buy a pen. So that's. And if someone said to me, I'd say, wow, this person really knows how to sell. Because the biggest mistake that rookie sales would make is they try to sell to everybody. Versus weeding out people who are not interested and only selling to those who are. So I ask questions, but not any question. I ask pointed questions to identify what type of pens you've used in the past, how much money you have. Now the pen is like a euphemism for any product, right? By doing that, I can get a good sense of what you're about. And then when I'm done asking my questions and I know what I need to know, I'll say, well, based on what you said to me, this pen is the perfect if you let me tell you why. And now I'm actually matching my pen to what you need, and I tailor my presentation to fill that name, and it's much more elegant. Make sense? Yes, okay, thank great. you. <laughs> Next question.
1: Um, should we go to the hand just over there? Just there, uh, in the glasses. Yeah, put the hand up just there. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm interested. What would you say is the most exciting thing about being a stockbroker?
0: making a lot of money. That's it. I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, a stockbroker is a glorified salesman that makes an awful lot of money. And I always say to people, people say, what should I do for them? And I said, Well, if it's just about money, be a stockbroker or a real estate broker, I mean, there's certain, listen, there's all different types of sales jobs, right? Some industries pay obscenely more than others. The highest paid job in sales is being a stockbroker. Now, remember, a st- stockbroker means you're selling stock to clients. It's very different than an investment banker or a trader. So Wall Street, or you have here as a city, right? Is, you know, there's lots of different functions there, right? Stockbroker is a retail stockbroker that's out there selling. So it's a sales job. So if sales is not for you, then you probably wouldn't want to be a stockbroker. That doesn't mean you can't be in finance and be an investment banker or a trader have a hedge fund, whatever it might be. So it's all... Different sorts of jobs. Now, I started off as a stockbroker, and I became an investment banker, taking companies public, and then became a merchant banker, buying the companies and taking like with Steve Madden shoes, buying the company first and then taking it public. So, there's all different types. But a stockbroker is a sales job. Okay, you do it because you want to make a lot of money. If you're doing it to have fun, wrong career. Okay. Thank you. I want to give the microphone.
1: Oh, the hand at the front. <laughs> Hey, Jordan. Um, do you think it's problematic that society uses financial success as one of the key definitions for success?
0: I, I think that it's. The, I don't think it's problematic. I think it's a reality. I think that you know, it's you know, you can't t- t- discount fi- financial success in a capitalist economy. It's almost like, by nature of the, uh, of capitalism, right? We are we are almost tying some definition of success to being you know to to accumulating capital by having capital, right? Um, I think that um, if you look at the alternative, as you see in other societies, um, you know, there are some healthier alternatives, like the, where it's not... There's always about some level of success. Some com- countries I've been to, for instance, I've travelled the world. I've been to Norway, right? Where there's a huge, massive social welfare state there based on their oil fines they have in, in the North Sea, right? And, and they're a very happy group of people. Uh, the government is much more socialist, takes care of everybody but it's a very small country um, and but the people are still striving for success they still strive for success um, versus the US which you could say is almost like soulless success on some level but i think it's almost a mis a mis- misconception of the united states and, you know remember the us is made up of people just like you you know and i, I, I don't know very i know very few soulless people in my country you know, we all face the same things in different countries. We all want to have our, our, our families taken care of. We want to, you know, eat, have shelter, and live a good life and have fun, right? As you get older, and you get perspective on money, right? I realize there's only a certain amount of money that, you know, you can have that you can spend. And after that, what does it really matter for? When you're young, you just want to make, I want to get rich because, mo- let me look at this thing. Money is a problem to be solved money, solve the money problem and you can live and, and go on to all the other greater things like life. Money will not make you happy. It won't. I'll, I'll give you that. Money will not make you happy. But a lack of money is a passport to misery. It is. I've seen more problems caused by a lack of money. I've seen more relationships fail because of money. Husbands and wives who literally split up because of money. The pressures of it. Money is a crucial, important... In fact, money is the single most important thing in the entire world when it comes to a couple of things. Food, shelter, medical care. After that, well, it doesn't really matter, but those things matter. So you need to get enough to have that satisfied in in the level that you deem important. In other words, how much money... Let me back up. We all have standards. One of those standards is a financial standard. How much money do you need to have in your life to feel good? Your standard is not the same as mine, as yours, as hers. Everybody, even adults, we all have different financial standards. There's no right and wrong. But then you also have a vision for your future. How do you want your life to look? So just imagine if you have this champagne vision, I want to have yachts and movie stars and beer standards. It's not congruent. That leads to unhappiness. Conversely, you might have a standard like Mother Teresa. What was her standard? Her financial currency was, I wanna help the world. The more people I help, the richer I am. She was the happiest, she was the richest woman in the world by her standards. So we all have a different standard, but money is a reality. So I say, solve the money problem and then move on to all the other higher things in life as well. But a lack of money is a disaster. Next question.
1: I think we've maybe got time for just one more, so (laughs) take carefully. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to take Yeah. Okay. Zero, uh, female. Um, hi, Jordan. I'm interested in the meet and greet. You noted um, this is slightly off kilter, not to do with maybe finance. Uh, you noted that you don't um, believe in climate change. I was wondering if you could just elaborate on sure. on,
0: on why that is. Let me explain. So let me say, let me explain my beliefs on climate change. I don't. I'm not saying that there's not climate change. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the that the that the Earth is a very big place. And that a, a volcano could erupt one day and spew s- ash into the atmosphere, right, and make it cooler or warm. I, I think the sun tilts one way. There's all these different cycles that happen, and I think to say that it's just because of fossil fuels, I don't know. That being said, I am all for all the things that green people stand for because I want to live in a beautiful planet. I want to be beautiful. I don't think the two mutually exclusive. See, somehow these two arguments got linked together. You have to be green because you're scared of global warming. I don't believe in global warming, but I believe in being green. Because I want the earth to be... Ab- Why should you pollute? Do you shit where you eat? It's like logic. So I, I, I don't think the two arguments are mutually exclusive. So as a scientist, I'm very skeptical. I'm a, I went to school with a degree in biochemistry. I am really, really skeptical on climate change. I'm leaning against. But who knows? I don't know the answer. I could be wrong. But that doesn't impact my philosophy on the planet one bit. I think that we should have all the regulations within reason to make sure the planet stays healthy and is sustainable. Why would the hell would you want it not to? So my views, I don't think my, climate change doesn't impact my views on, on, on conservation of the planet.
1: Well, um, thank you for that. And um, that's unfortunately all we've got time for today. Um, but thank you so much, Jordan, for joining sure. us today. And if you could all please join me in saying a huge thank you to Mr. Jordan Bennett.
0: Thank you.